So the title, <coughs> excuse me, of my message this morning is Fatherly Instruction, and we're going to uh, kind of take 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 as an outline that we're going to follow. So I'll um, just say up front, we're going to, I'm going to give a lot of references. Most of them are in First and Second Timothy. And even before I get into it, you know, obviously it's Father's Day, and, and just in seeking the Lord, I, I couldn't get away from the idea that the Lord wanted me to speak to fathers today. But as I do that, I just want to remind the rest of you who aren't fathers, I know that everyone here is a father, that first of all, there's something that still to hear from these, because these are truths that apply to all of our lives. So while the exhortation is to fathers to instruct their children in these things, this has application to all of our lives. And I also want to secondly say before we jump into it, again, covering a lot, is that I want to encourage the fathers in here to just hear the voice of the Lord as we look at uh, Paul as a f- spiritual father to Timothy and the things he shared to him. You know, don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed, I pray, this morning or discouraged as a father. That's definitely not the goal from this. But it's just to be a reminder to us or these are things that we need to make sure we as fathers are communicating to our children and, and keeping in mind the grace of God in our lives. The grace of God. God's grace is sufficient for us as fathers, as mothers, as children. Um, God's grace is sufficient for us. So with those things in mind, uh, I want to begin here. Fathers, you know, we play an important role in the lives of our children. And I just have a, a little excerpt here from an article, an opinion article that was written, I found on a news site, uh, written here for this Father's Day. It says, data from the United States Census Bureau shows that nearly 18.5 million children grow up without their fathers, which has in turn led the United States to owning the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. There is little doubt that America is experiencing an unprecedented fatherless crisis. Approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, therefore leading to nearly 25% of, of youth growing up without a father in the home. This staggering statistic has not only destroyed the nuclear family, but has devastated communities across the nation. For example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, and over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. And so, obviously, that article is expressing the importance of a father just being there, just being present. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is something much greater than that as Christian fathers. It's not just being there. There's things that we need to as fathers to make sure we're instructing, we're speaking into the lives of our children. But in light of that quote, I think, of that article, Billy Graham, I think, had a great quote about the importance of fathers. He said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, at one of the most valuable assets in our society. And I think those statistics bear that out, right? Because without fathers, there's a lot of trouble for children. And so God has given us a great responsibility as fathers, a responsibility, I think, of being a voice in the lives of our children, of speaking into their lives. And if we don't do it, fathers, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it if we don't do it? And, and the answer is going to be the world's going to do it. And we see how crazy that is. So we as fathers have to speak. And I think God made that plain early on in Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. 
He says there in these words which I command you today, you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So there the God is telling fathers we need to be teaching, instructing our children. It's not just for mom to do. It's our job as fathers, as leaders of our home to do that. A couple of references, and I'm just going to read one of them, but Proverbs 1.8 um, and Proverbs 13.1. But Proverbs 1.8, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. And so there, the writer of, there in Proverbs is expressing the importance of a father to instruct and the importance of a father's instruction to his son. And that word instruction there means discipline, correction, reproof refers to corrective discipline or instruction. It often refers to discipline or instruction intended to educate a person in the right way. And so that's what we as fathers are called to do, is to help instruct our children in the right way that they are to go. And it can be challenging to instruct and at times feel like you're making no headway. I know just basic things, right? As a father and mothers deal with this too, there's times I wish that I could have just have recorded some things that I've said and just play it back because you repeat it a lot, right? As, as a parent and as a father. But we got to be faithful to do these things and we got to do them with the Lord's help and with his grace. And we'll talk a little more later on about the importance of the grace of God as we do this, but we have to persist in giving instruction to our children because the cost is just too great if we don't, if we don't do it. And you know, Paul warned Timothy that in 2 Timothy 3.1 that know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, right? And I think, you know, these are the last days. It's been the last days um, as ever since Christ departed, it's been the last days, but we can see today the perilous times that we live in right? There's perilous times. And so if we have to be ready and prepare our children to be ready for the perilous times that they're going to, they're going to be living in, and otherwise they're going to be unprepared. So in our time this morning, I'm going to take some, take some time to look at the instruction, again, as I said, that Paul gave to Timothy. So why Paul's instruction to Timothy? Well, Paul viewed Timothy as his son in the faith. And no less than five times in the New Testament did Paul refer to Timothy as his son. Philippians 2.22, he says there, But you know his proven character, speaking of Timothy, of Timothy, that as a son with his father, he served me with me in the gospel. And then in First and Second Timothy, Paul refers to Timothy twice in each book as a son. And uh, as a beloved son, in fact. And so my hope in, is that Paul's instruction to Timothy will be a guide for us as fathers to bring the needed instruction into the lives of our children. And again, there's going to be a lot of points we're going to cover. And what I just encourage you to do as a father is just pray, Lord, where do I need to be focused at? What of these things do I need to be doing a better job with? What do my children need? Because I mean, it's easy to get overwhelmed, and I don't mean to overwhelm anybody this morning. But we just as fathers, we have to hear from the Lord. So 2 Timothy 4, 5, that's going to be give us our outline um, for what we're going to look at this morning. There, Paul says to Timothy, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the first point there, be watchful in all things, is the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy. And that word watchful means be well-balanced, self-controlled. So Paul is telling Timothy, 
you have to be self-controlled. As, as, a, as, a, as my son, I want you to understand this. There has to be self-control in your life. And I think some other places in Timothy, some things that he says are important in regards to this being watchful in all things. How is that going to happen in our children's lives? Well, the first is we have to teach them the necessity of spiritual exercise. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. And if you have your Bible turned there, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. And we're going to look at the importance of spiritual exercise in our lives. There, um, Paul says to Timothy that, you know, he's going to have to exercise himself. He says, but project, pro- reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For a bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having a promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And so Paul exhorts his son there to exercise himself towards godliness. He's giving him just the, <clears throat> the encouragement and the uh, instruction that he's going to have to exercise if he's going to be a godly person. There's going to have to be effort on his part. And that Greek word that's used, that's translated in our English Bibles as exercise, means to train or to undergo discipline. The, this is the word where we get our English word gymnasium from. So you see quite quickly there that, right, Paul's talking about the fact there's going to be sweat involved. There's going to be exercise. Further down in verse 10, Paul says, For this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And that word labor there helps gives us further insight into the context of what he's encouraging Timothy to do and having spiritual exercise. That word labor means to exert oneself physically. It means uh, mentally or spiritually to work hard, to toil, to strive, to struggle. So Paul's letting Timothy know that it's going to require some sweat on his part if he's going to have a godly life. And this is a truth that we need to be communicating to our children, that it's going to require work if you're going to have the godly life that honors the Lord. <clears throat> you know, uh, I want to read a quote here uh, from someone on this point. It says, There is no such thing as drifting into godliness. The stream of tendency is against us. There must be exercise and effort. And so if you've walked with the Lord for any length of the time, you know that's the case, right? You don't just naturally flow toward godliness, you know, and your flesh is never going to flow that direction. Paul, you know, in the scripture makes it clear, and Paul in Romans 7 talks about the struggle with his own flesh. And the point scripture makes clear to us that in our flesh dwells no good thing. And that's true of us, that's true of our children, and we have to help them, and we have to realize that it, for us to be godly, to have a life that honors the Lord, we're going to have to put forth effort. It's not just going to naturally happen. Paul acknowledges there in verse 8 that physical exercise has some benefit, right? However, its benefit has a limit, which spiritual exercise does not have. Physical exercise is only beneficial for this life, while spiritual exercise has benefit both for this life and for the life that's to come. So Paul here does what he often does in his instruction to Timothy. He puts the focus on the eternal and reminds them to look out. Don't just see the near. See what you're headed toward, the future. And so he's exhorting Timothy, put forth effort. Seek to work to be a godly person. And this is, again, we have to encourage our children in this. And, you know, we can encourage our children in many things, right? And we've 
Uh, sometimes as parents, we have desires for them to be this and to accomplish this in sports and accomplish this maybe as far as schooling. And while I'm not saying anything, those things are necessarily bad, but they don't have eternal value. And so are we encouraging and exhorting our children to put forth that same effort that we're wanting in other things and being godly people, being people that are walking close with the Lord? And secondly, <clears throat> Paul, um, and I think a second point important in this matter of being watchful is having spiritual pursuit. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 11 through 14, uh, Paul gives uh, Timothy a target to aim at. Um, there he says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep his, this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. So there in verse 11, Paul gives Timothy a target to aim at. And his target is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. He puts that before him. And that word pursue means to strive for, to seek after, to aspire to something. And so Paul is exerting, exhorting Timothy, here's the goal for your life, Timothy. Pursue this. Seek after it and, and, and follow it. Otherwise you're, not, otherwise, you're never going to attain it. And it's just like it is with anything worth attaining in life. If you don't set the goal out in front of you and strive for it and press toward it, you're not going to hit it. If, you just, if you're just going to have no goal, you're just going to walk aimlessly. And so we as fathers need to be setting the goal before our children. This is God's desire for you. It's your, God's desire for you to pursue righteousness with your life. And if they, again, if they're not going to hear that from the world. You know, but they have to hear it from us as fathers. And Paul goes on in verse 12 to exhort Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And, and this is where I think Timothy, Paul's getting real with Timothy. He's acknowledging to, him, to Timothy, we're, you're in a battle. And it's important for us as, as fathers to communicate that to our children, that this life and following the Lord is going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. You entered the fight when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because now you're running upstream contrary to everything that this world is about. And so it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle with your flesh and your desires, what you have, what you want to do, wanting to take over. It's going to be a battle with the spiritual forces and unseen places. It's going to be a battle with people that are being they're allowing the enemy to use them they're not the enemy and we'll get to that a little bit later on here in, in, in our study but it's a battle it's a fight that we're in and so we need to remind our children and help them to understand that and just being real and honest with them you know it's going to it's going to be a fight and so Paul tells him these things though in light of some stuff that I think they're very that's very important there in verses 13 and 14 he exhorts him to pursue this holy living with these three things in mind. He exhorts him to do it remembering that God sees him. And how important it is it for us in our lives and for our children to realize that God sees us. God sees what we're doing. He's not absent from our lives. He's aware of what's going on in our lives. 
and he sees whether we're seeking him or not seeking him. And, 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 and it matters what we're doing. So God sees. Secondly, he, he puts forth Christ as the example to follow. There in verse uh, uh, 13, he, he says, And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, he says, Look, Timothy, your Lord and Savior, he was faithful to do this. He put forth the good confession. He was faithful to the end. Follow his example. And Hebrews 12, 2, the writer of Hebrews there tells us that, right? He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And so in seeking to pursue righteousness and exercise ourselves toward godliness, we have to be pointing our children to follow Christ as the example, to be looking to him as the one to follow. And then thirdly, he says something that's probably just as important, if not most important of all, he reminds them that Jesus is coming back. He says that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Paul is wanting Timothy to realize that eternity is ahead of him and that he, like Paul, is going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. And this is so important that we communicate this to our children and be constantly reminded of ourselves and talking with them about them. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we are going to be in his presence. And what is going to matter when that happens? What's going to matter? Is it going to matter that they were the best student in school and that they got the great career and accomplished all kinds of things? Is that going to matter then? I don't think it's going to matter that much. I think what's going to matter most is that they were seeking the Lord when they stand before him. And we have to remember that ourselves. And everything in our life kind of causes this to kind of be drowned out, right? There's so many things that's drowned out the fact that eternity is, is there. It's, it's right around the corner. We're going to be in the Lord's presence. And we have, ourselves have to be reminded of that, and we have to be reminded of our children of that, to be living for eternity. You know, Paul in 2 Timothy 2.15 exhorted Timothy, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So again, they're going to stand before the Lord. And they need to realize that they need to live their life and we need to live our life with that truth in mind so we can be approved by God. Be, and that will be a day of rejoicing when we stand before him. So what I want to say before moving on, though, is we're not talking about legalistic effort here. That's not what this exercising yourself to godliness and this pursuit of righteousness. It's not legalistic effort, which is legalism is an attempt to earn God's favor or to earn salvation. We, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and call upon him, we are as saved as we are ever going to be because we've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But now we've been given this life to live for his glory and we want to be able to lay, cast crowns at his feet one day and offer back to him something when we stand before him. And that's what we're talking about. And I just want to read a quote here from Kent Hughes on a book he wrote, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. He says, the difference is one of motivation. Legalism is self-centered. Discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I will do this thing to gain merit with God. The disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because I love God and want to please him. 
And so that's what we're trying to communicate to our children in exercising themselves to godliness, pursuing righteousness, is that they be praying they develop a heart to love God, and they do what they do out of love for him, and that we do this out of love for him because we love him and want to please him, not because we're trying to earn favor before him. And, that, and this truth of, and what's connected to all of this, is just the grace of God. We have to be able to communicate to our children God's grace. And they got to, and teaching them and us to walk in the grace of God. And again, not laying down legalistic rules, and, and, but teaching them to have a heart for the Lord and to seek after him. And so thirdly, under this point, is guard the truth. And Paul says the first, in 1 Timothy 6, 20 through 21, he says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Another reference you could write down, which is similar in 2 Timothy, is 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. Again, 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. The Greek word translated as guard there in our English Bibles means to protect by taking careful measures. Guard, protect. In the context here, uh, Timothy is told to protect the truth by taking careful measures to protect what has been entrusted so that it is not lost or damaged. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, Timothy, you have been given God's eternal truth. Here is God's truth, and I urge you to guard it, to guard it, not only for your sake, but for the sake of others who still need to hear the truth. And so our children need to understand the importance is the truth is passed on to them to be exhorted to guard, guard the truth. And, you know, in case you haven't noticed, Truth is under assault more than ever in our world, right? Truth is under assault at every turn. And not just spiritual truth, scientific truth is under assault. I mean, so we live in a world that isn't, won't anything to do with truth anymore. And so we need to prepare our children for this and help them to understand that they have to guard the truth. And along with this, as your children have questions about the faith, don't blow them off. Try to help answer those questions because God has the answers for the most important questions. The most important questions, there are reasonable answers for them. And so as your children have questions, encourage them in that and say, let's find out. Let's, if you don't know the answer, say, let's find out what the answer to that is. I don't know what the answer is, but let's go to God's word. Let's pray about it. Let's ask others and let's find the answer. And in that, you're teaching your kids to use, I think, the mind that God's given them. And something that's been important for my wife and I, and we still are hoping and seeking to try to do this, to help our children learn to be thinkers, critical thinkers. Think. <laughs> use the mind God's given you. God's given you truth. Use it. And look at the world around you and observe. And don't just listen to what the latest soundbite is that people are feeding you. People say this and they say that. And all around us, our culture is based upon emotional responses. It's emotions driving everything, but it's not truth driving it. And so we have to teach our children to guard the truth. Here's the truth being delivered to you. Stand fast in it. And if you have questions, let's try to find the answers Use the mind God's given you and observe. And you know, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 has been a section of verses that have always stood out to me. Um, and just there, Solomon uses his mind. He makes an observation 
of the results of doing one thing, what it brings, and what the results of after a certain habit in a person's life. And so the reason I bring that up is, again, encourage your kids just to observe what is happening to people that go down that path. What's happening to them? What's the result of them living that way? And I think if you will help them see that, they will see that if you stick your finger in God's eye and say, I'm going to do my own thing, go this way, you'll, they'll see the results aren't so good in those people's lives. And so we're not talking just to tell our children to blindly follow the truth. Observe, look, and, look, and allow God to help you, with, and we'll help you find the answers, but just use the mind God's given you and look at the world around you and see what the results are in this world of not following the Lord. And so second, our second main point from 2 Timothy 4.5 is endure afflictions. That is one Greek word in, in Greek there, which means to bear hardship patiently. You know, our westernized version of Christianity has often led people to the false idea that following Christ is easy, right? That you're never going to suffer for following Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy here to be ready and to bear hardship patiently. Timothy, there's going to be hardship and my exhortation to you is to bear it patiently. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul says to him there, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so the fact that we'll face difficulty is repeated throughout the New Testament. Jesus said it would happen. One of the places, John 16.33 Peter reiterated it, 1 Peter 4.12. So scriptural uh, truth is, is that we as believers are going to face hardship. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be challenges. And Paul is calling Timothy to share, he calls Timothy in this letter to him to share in his suffering with him. He doesn't shy away from it. Not only does he tell him, look, Timothy, you're going to suffer, but share in the suffering with me. Do what I'm doing. And so we as parents have to just be real and honest with our children. You're going to face challenges. And we've had those talks at times with our older two children. You know, people are not going to like what you believe. They're going, to, they're going to hate you. They're going to say nasty things about you. But you have to hold on to the truth. You have to stand in it and not be swayed by it. And so that's one of the ways we as fathers have to prepare our children. It's prepare them to face there's going to be difficulty. Um, and they encourage them to, to, to endure it, to not just uh, set it aside. You know, <clears throat> just want to say, you know, and I don't mean at any mean to diminish hurt that's happened to people. But listen to what I want to say here. It's like many times people in the church get hurt and they quit church. And they quit, in some cases, they even go to the extreme of quit following Jesus because somebody hurt them. But if you were to, if that person was to communicate that to somebody who died as a martyr for Jesus Christ in heaven, how much sympathy do you think there would be for, for that? Like, you quit because somebody insulted you? You quit following the Lord? You quit serving him? And so, you know, I just want to say, be, prepare children. If you, if you get hurt... Deal with the hurt, but don't quit following Jesus. Don't quit serving him. Don't quit being in the body of Christ and connected to the body of Christ. And, you know, one of the examples, I think, for fathers, 
Uh, and then again, I know this is generalizing, but thinking of, you know, if a toddler falls and scrapes his knee, there's usually, there's typically two different responses between mom and dad, right? Mom is quick to comfort and to hug, and dad's like, brush it off. It's okay. Just brush it off and get back up and go. And so that's part of our role as fathers. And mothers have that role. Both are right and both are necessary. But as say as fathers, being okay with the fact, it's okay if your child gets hurt. It's okay. And you help them walk through the hurt. We can't protect them from every hurt in life. And so we need to, and part of those things they learn, the bumps and the bruises, prepare them to be successful in this life, right? Prepare them for real, the real world. And so, um, you know, encourage them and prepare them to endure inflictions, to bear hardship patiently. Thirdly, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Now, there's disagreement about whether Timothy had the gift of evangelism or not. Some say he didn't and that Paul was encouraging him to share the gospel despite this and not, and, and not uh, set it aside. Others say uh, it was his gift and Paul was simply encouraging him to fulfill this area of ministry. Uh, and I think either way, um, Paul was telling him to do the work of an evangelist. And while there is a gift of evangelism that's talked about in Scripture, we know that every, all of us are called to be evangelists, to share the gospel. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus said to all of us, go make disciples. And if you participated in VBS this week, you were part of making disciples. You're a part of the gospel being shared. And so um, and that doesn't exempt us from ever talking to, with somebody directly about Jesus. But I'm just pointing out there's many ways for us to be involved in being, as a church, reaching out and being part of the gospel being shared with others. So that's God's desire. And that's my next point here under this, uh, under the, under this, uh, under this, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, so hold it just a second. Under the park of doing the work of an evangelist, I apologize. So teach them God's desire. First uh, Timothy 2, 2, 3 through 6. First Timothy 2, 3 through 6. There Paul says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so we as fathers, we have to teach our children that this is God's desire. God's desire is for all men to be saved. All men to be saved. Yes, even that person or that group of people that you struggle to like, even that political party of whoever they are that you struggle to like and you can get angry with and upset with, even the person that cuts you off on the road, God's desire is for them to be saved. The person that doesn't know how to merge in Lynchburg on the expressway, <laughs> even that person, God desires for them to be saved. And we have to teach our children this. We have to teach our children God's desire, no matter how bad that person is, God's desires for their salvation. And as you know, you think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Christian churches in his day, when they heard what he was doing, do you think they were thinking a lot at times that God desires Paul to be saved? 
that God is dragging us off and to be imprisoned and to be put to death. But God's desire was to save him, and he did. And so we have to be careful that we don't convey to our children that God hates people. We have to help them understand God's desire for those people is for their salvation. And that leads me to our next point, is to teach respect for others. In 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul there says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So again, Paul there is saying, pray for all people. And that, I think, is part of helping our children to understand to respect people, is to pray for them. Jesus said, pray for our enemies, right? And so we want to teach our children to pray for all people. And I'm sure you'll have opportunities, right, when uh, someone in school uh, says something that's hurtful to your child. There's an opportunity to help them. Let's pray for that person. Let's pray for them, you know. And that's, what, that's part of us, our job as fathers, to help teach respect to our children. Paul in 1 Timothy 5 one through three gives some other instruction, which again is connected to respect. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, young men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity, honor widows who are really widows. And so again, Paul was exhorting Timothy to have respect for others, man or woman, young or older, to treat them with respect. And we as believers, we know we're called to be Christ's ambassadors in this world. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so the reason I bring that up is in, this, in the view of helping our children to learn to respect others, I mean, how can we or they be Christ's ambassadors like we're supposed to be if we're having hateful, vitriolic speech toward people that we disagree with? You know, no matter how wicked the things are that we're in a disagreement with them on, God's desire is still to save them, and we're still to be God's ambassadors. And so Paul was exhorting Timothy here to, to put himself in a place that he could be an evangelist. Right? It's hard to be able to share the gospel with people if you're known as just spewing hate about people and calling names or being angry about this person or that person. We're not going to be able to be uh, to, to fulfill the work of an evangelist. And so we need to be, keep this in mind as we exhort our children. And then secondly, and, and under this point is, uh, thirdly under this point is share your testimony. You know, Paul shared his testimony with his spiritual son, both his story of salvation he shared with him and God's work since then. And we see that first part there in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And Paul there says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so what's Paul doing there? He's reminding Timothy and telling Timothy of his salvation story. He's like, look, God showed mercy to me. I was an evil, wicked man. And God rescued me. God saved me. 
And so we as parents, as fathers, we need to communicate to our children our salvation story. How did we come to know the Lord? And what has God done in our lives? Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 17 through 18, uh, Paul recounts some of God's faithfulness to him. He says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul there is sharing with Timothy of how God took care of him and how God provided for him. And so that's a testimony. And so as fathers, we need to be testifying to our children of how we came to the Lord and what things the Lord has done in our lives, prayers he's answered, how he's rescued us from things, how he's provided for us so that their faith can be built up, right? So that they can be able to endure They need to hear our stories and hear what God's done in our lives. And we have that legacy of faith, no matter where where we came from, no matter how, in your mind, unfantastic your story is or not, it's still a story of God's work. And we need to share that with our children to encourage them in their faith. And so now our last point, Paul's exhortation to Timothy to fulfill your ministry. Uh, Paul exhorted Timothy to fulfill his ministry there in 2 Timothy 4, 5. And that Greek word fulfill means to fill completely. Timothy had a ministry that God had given to him, and he needed to, com- to complete it. And no matter how chi- small your child may be today, or how old your child may be today, if they've put their faith in Christ, they have a ministry that God's calling them to to complete. And you and I as a father, we get to encourage them in fulfilling that ministry. And one of the things I want to hit on here is under this, the first point is teach them contentment. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, uh, Paul there says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into, into temptation and a snare, and to and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So for our children to fulfill the ministry that God's called them to, they have to learn contentment. And um, I want to focus mainly right now, not so much on contentment material things, but contentment in that thing that God's given them to do. And I think I've seen too often this play out in people's lives where they, they are doing something God's called them to, but they get bored with it, and they want to go find something better or more exciting to do. But if our children, if we are going to fulfill the ministry, fulfill the ministry God's given us, we have to be content with what God's given us and just stick with it and, and, and press through in that place until God calls us to something else. And, um, and everything, again, like with many things, the world and our flesh drive it, causing discontentment. And we have to help our children learn contentment, and we need to learn contentment if that's not in our lives. But help them to learn to be content with where God's placed them and what God's given them to do. Secondly, to fulfill their ministry, they need to see the importance of church. 
Um, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 said, These things are right to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself and the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so Paul was communicating to Timothy just the importance of the church. And everything Paul's telling Timothy in First and Second Timothy, as far as ministry, is connected inside with the church. Timothy was not to be an isolated individual. This is all connected into the body of Christ, the church. God's work in this world is through the church. And so we as parents, as fathers, need to be communicating and helping our children understand that the church is important. It matters that we are connected to believers. It matters that we serve in the church. It matters that we support the church in prayer and with finances. The church needs us. Because, and that's where God's placed us. And in order for them and for the, us to fulfill our ministry, it has to be in connection with the body of Christ. It's not something that's to be isolated. So teach your children the importance of that. And then encourage them to use their spiritual gifts. And, you know, all of our children and us too, when we come to faith in Christ, we all have at least one spiritual gift. And so we as fathers, we should encourage them in, our, in their spiritual gifts Um, 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 14. I'm just going to read verse 14 right here. It says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. In 2 Timothy 1, 6, Paul tells him to remind you to stir up the gift. And so Paul was encouraging Timothy, use your gift. And so, um, you know, we as fathers, we should be praying, Lord, help me to see what are the gifts that you've given to my children. And help me to see them and help me to encourage them in those gifts. And encouraging them to pray and seek the Lord what, as to what their gifts are. And encourage them, if they don't know, just to be serving. Get involved serving. And as they serve, God's going to show them what their gift is. And so uh, we as parents, as fathers in particular, we need to encourage our children to, to know their gifts, spiritual gifts, and to walk in them. And then lastly, remind them of their calling. 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says, There who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Remind your children often of God's love for them. God's called them to himself. God has called them and he has a purpose for them and, and help them to, to grow in understanding the grace of God and God's desire to use them. And, you know, I just, uh, the worship team can come, go ahead and come forward here. I just, in conclusion here, I just want to say, you know, a few things on my mind with this. So, fathers, I know it can be overwhelming, but, um, you know, we have a great opportunity coming up over the next couple weeks if, if you have a middle schooler that's going to camp or you have a high schooler that's going to camp to, one, be praying for them, Right? Pray. Pray for, God to, they to, for them to hear God's voice. But there's an opportunity when they return for you to talk with them about what was God teaching you? What was God showing you? And, you know, we're blessed here, um, both not only in middle and high school, but the children's ministry. We have people who are faithfully teaching our children the word of God. But it's our job as fathers to be first in that. Not just depend upon them. They're to be a supplement to what we're doing as fathers. And I just want to leave this exhortation with you, though. 2 Timothy 2, 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, guys, we need the grace of God. 
Our children needs the grace of God. And so, as I said in the beginning, don't like, take this whole list and just be overwhelmed. Just ask the Lord to show you. What is it that I need to focus on, Lord, right now? What is it I need to be doing? And don't just sit idly by. Be engaged. Be instructing your children and helping and asking the Lord to help you. And if you don't know where to start, I just want to encourage you, ask your wife, what is she seeing in your kids? What is she seeing they need to hear right now? And you guys pray together and you ask her to pray for you. And God's grace is sufficient for this. His grace is sufficient to enable us as fathers to be able to minister to our children as he's called us to.